And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome to your Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. As always, it's Ian Mendes and Julian McKenzie with you uh, after another very busy weekend in the world of hockey. Uh, Julian, I'm excited to pick your brain on uh, the Heritage Classic. Uh, Outdoor game, Battle of Alberta, they take it outside. I'm going to have to find out exactly how many layers you had of clothing for that. Um, let me think. So I had like a really big bulky jacket, had like a suit underneath, turtleneck, thermal underwear for sure, because that's yeah. that's just a must. But it wasn't that bad. Like at puck drop, it was like three degrees Celsius. I, I don't know that I think it was like I think it's like 30. 35 Fortnite. 35 yeah. Fortnite is around then. Yeah, but it, it wasn't that Wait, did you just pronounce cold. it as foreign height? Fahrenheit. Okay. But I, I thought you said for, foreign height. I'm like, what is this? No, it's Fahrenheit. Okay. I, I, maybe I said Fahrenheit. It's definitely Fahrenheit, or maybe I did something, or maybe I, I was trying to think of the temperatures. It doesn't matter. It wasn't that bad in terms it wasn't of wasn't too bad. Cold, like even in the second period, like I, I spent a couple minutes just outside of the press box and I was just watching it, uh, just you know taking it in from the stadium and taking it in the atmosphere, and it was really nice. It was really cool. It was a like it's definitely one of those events where you have to be in the the building for, and like that was my first time experiencing any of that. But uh, I, I really enjoyed it. We could we could talk about that a little bit more. But just as yeah. an initial impression, I liked it. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that. Um, we had the two opposite elements of the – you were at the outdoor game in the cold in Alberta. I was in the desert on the weekend, Mullet Arena, uh, in Tempe, Arizona, for the NHL's first Pride game uh, under uh, the kind of the new rule. So we'll, we'll talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that. Uh, Joe Thornton retired. I feel like we should we should hit on that. But let's open up the show. And unfortunately, this was this was the news that dominated uh, the weekend, and it was awful. And it involves a former NHL player, uh, Adam Johnson, tragically killed uh, in an on ice accident overseas. Uh, Adam played uh, with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So why don't we bring in uh, Josh Yogi, who uh, along with Rob Rossi, they did a fantastic job on the weekend, having to uh, you know tell a, a difficult story when a young man's life ends uh josh thanks for joining uh the monday uh monday podcast here hey guys good to see you both wish it was uh, under better circumstances of course uh, just terrible terrible weekend for the hockey world no, no other way to put it yeah and uh, and you know i think what's important here is is to look at the life of adam and 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 the impact that he had and i know that you and 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 and, and rob and other people have reached out to other people and let me just take a moment here to share with our listeners a little bit about adam johnson yeah, I mean, just I'd be lying to you if I said I got to know him super well because he wasn't in the NHL for that long. But he's just one of those kids that comes along. Um, everybody liked him. 
uh, just immediately likable, very kind young man. He was so happy to make it to the National Hockey League. I, I covered his very first game. I'll just never forget, even after the game, he still just had the big smile on his face. He couldn't get over the fact that he had made it. And uh, I think he was one of those people who kind of willed his way to the NHL. He, you know, he wasn't somebody that a scout looked at and said, oh, you know, can't miss prospect. He wasn't that big or that fast, but he just worked his way there and he finally made it to the NHL. And, and the only goal that he ever scored in his career was in Minnesota in, in his home state with his family and friends there. I'll never forget it. Um, he just, he touched a lot of people in the short time he was here. And I know that just talking with some people over the weekend from Jim Rutherford, his GM at the time, to Matt Cullen, who lived very close to him in Minnesota, really had a close relationship with him. Uh, everybody was shook up, as you can imagine. Is there a particular story from the ones you've heard over the weekend that stands out to you the most? Oh, boy. I mean, so for me, I, I already mentioned it, but the only NHL goal he ever scored coming in Minnesota, uh, he was on the ice with Sam Lafferty and Zach Aston Reese. That was the Penguin, and he played a lot of minor league games with those two. And um, I still remember seeing the smile on his face when he scored that goal. And, and Lafferty and Aston Reese have both brought it up in the last couple of days. Like they, they will never forget the joy on his face. And he had a lot of friends and family in the building that night. Um, that's you can't write it up, but you know, you're going to score the only goal you're ever going to score in the National Hockey League, and it and it happens to be a road game in the city where you're from or in the state where you're from with your family there. Um, that, you know, that was just such of a touching moment. And he was one of those people. He just always had the smile on his face. I mean, I know we say that about a lot of people, but he, he really was one of those people. He was so happy to be in the NHL. And, you know, even at almost 30, he was still playing hockey. He was just one of those people. He was a hockey lifer. It was the game he loved and um, just left an impression on everybody. And I can tell you from Sidney Crosby on down, all the people who played with him in Pittsburgh, uh, they were they were hurting over the weekend. But in fact, the Penguins, you know, they they heard the news before their game Saturday against Ottawa, and they didn't know he had passed away yet. But they knew it was, you know, grave condition, and it affected a lot of people, as as you would understand. But that they had a real soft spot for him. There's no doubt. Yeah, and I, and I think what what this has done, unfortunately, it's opened up a broader conversation here. We've seen it. Mark Lazarus had a piece in the Athletic. Uh, Chris Johnson has a piece that uh, is coming out, and if it hasn't come out already, it. it It'll be out by the time most people listen to this. I think it about, just came out as you're it, talking about it. Okay. Actually. Well, there you go. And 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 the and the the topic is, you know, are these types of on ice accidents, while extremely rare, are they preventable? And and I'm wondering, Josh, do you, like in in kind of listening to some of the conversations that have been happening, do you think that this is going to push more professional hockey players, NHL players, to wear some sort of protection in and around their neck? I will say this. I've covered this sport for a long time, as you two have also. I am astounded that this doesn't happen more often. I, I, I mean, how many times do you see a guy get checked and his feet go up in the air? It's always the first thing I think about. You know, where's the skate blade? Um, I, I think the hockey world needs to have a discussion about it, you know, in terms of the neck protection. I have a nine-year-old who plays. He wears one. I, I don't know why we stop wearing them at some point when you think about it. I, I know guys don't like feeling restricted on the ice, but gosh, we went a hundred years without people wearing visors. Like, was that very smart? I don't think so. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having a conversation about it. And I know that it's rare, but it did happen, you know, and there have been, there was Clint Malarchuk incident. He's very lucky to still be with us. I think that was 1989. I still, it's one of my first hockey memories. I'll never forget 
you know, that incident and how close he came to losing his life. There have been other incidents like this. So I, I, I think the hockey world's not always very good at, uh, you know, get, getting into incidents before they happen. But I'd like to see the hockey world be a little proactive about this one. I, I think it's worth having a conversation for, for everybody's safety. And, and hockey manufacturers as well who, yes. who have made these neck guards as well. I mean, th- it seems as if people who have been asked about this, whether people who have not played at a high level or otherwise, they seem to say that comfort is a big reason why, mm-hmm. or discomfort in this case is a big reason why they don't continue wearing these. Why are we at a point where neck guards, for whatever reason, are not that comfortable? I would, I, I mean, it, it's unfortunate that we have to have this this discussion in light of what happened this weekend. But maybe this is the catalyst for more innovation when it comes to that technology. No, very well said, Julian. I, I agree with you. I, I mean, that's one of the most important parts on the body. Obviously, we're you know talking about hockey with people with ice skates on, and you know, if you think about it, it seems obvious, doesn't it? But but you know, you talk with players over the years. I I still remember in the early '90s seeing interviews with players. I don't like where the visor, I don't, I can't breathe well enough or it fogs up or I can't see. And, and you're right. In 2023, I would hope we would have the technology where we could at least have the conversation. And even if it's not necessarily mandatory, at least give the players more flexibility if they want to try to wear it for their own safety. Um, I, I think it's a really good idea. I do. You know, I remember, and Josh, you would remember this because it, uh, uh, it involved Eric Carlson and Matt Cook, but that yeah. Achilles, you know, Eric Carlson had his Achilles sliced by the skateboard of Matt Cook. And it opened, if you recall at the time, a huge conversation about those sort of Kevlar cut proof socks. And mm-hmm. a lot of guys weren't wearing them at the time. And a lot of guys switched to them. Um, I also think about Evander Kane. Remember Evander Kane got his wrist uh, pretty badly yeah. cut. Like it's not just Stomped, yeah. the neck. It is other areas of the body where you could have a serious injury. And you wonder like, how how is it, you know, not possible that 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 there's that sort of, Kevlar type of under coating, so to speak, or under uh, wear that the, the the players could have, right? No, there should be. I mean, I remember a couple of years before the Carlson incident, uh, PK Subban's skate went through the back of Jordan Stahl's leg, and he missed about, I think, eight months or something. A very similar situation, and I was I remember very well the Carlson Cook, and for all of yeah. Matt Cook's indiscretions over the years, that was a fluky play, and you know, it's just it's one of those things that happens. A lot of guys don't like wearing them. Um, I've known enough hockey players over the years. They like to be comfortable. They don't like feeling restricted. And I get it. I'm not a hockey player myself. So I, I, I don't know what it's like to be on the ice and to, to feel a certain way to have to operate at top level. But I think anybody's going to want to be safe out there. Right. And I'm sure this incident, and it's, it, you hate when it comes to something like this, but I'm sure it will open up some eyes and some guys are going to be thinking, man, you know, I got a family watching me out there every night. What can I do to make them feel a little more comfortable about my safety out there? Um, stuff like this does happen. We we all know it. And and you know what? Year by year, it's a cliche, but it's true. The game literally does get faster every year. It does. And 10 years from now, it's going to be even faster than it is now. And and the faster it gets, the more dangerous in some ways I think it becomes too. So I, I, I think it's a great point that you both brought up about the technology, these companies that make, you know, from the state, the you know, sticks, skates, you you name it, all the manufacturers. Uh, I don't think anybody's blaming them or holding them accountable necessarily, but I think we need to sit down with them and say, "Hey, like, what's going on here? Why are things a little safer?" Here's another reason why I think we'll see some kind of change because we've seen. I mean, you mentioned Clint Marlarchuk, 
Uh, the one incident that stands out to me is Richard Zednick getting a, a skate to yes. the neck as well. Okay. And that was really gruesome to see, but we didn't see anything immediately come from after that. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Jacob Lauko a couple weeks ago with the Boston Bruins, yes. uh, his eye was cut mm-hmm. by a skate. Uh, but for whatever reason, we have not seen whether at the the professional, just pretty much anywhere at the professional level, up until this point, we had not seen the league kind of step up and say, okay, we are going to make these things mandatory. But uh, CJ, or C. Chris Johnson, literally put out a tweet about half an hour ago about the English Ice Hockey Association saying that they're going to make neck guards mandatory for all mm-hmm. players uh, as of December 31st. And the only reason why it's not happening sooner is because of supply issues. And up until this point, un- unless I'm wrong, I can't think of any other pro league that has stepped up after an incident like this and said, okay, we are going to make neck guards mandatory. We know it's mandatory in the junior leagues, but I have not, and I could be proven wrong, please, but I have not seen a pro league step up and say, okay, we are going to make this a thing. And now that this league where, I mean, I presume it's the federation that Adam Johnson was playing under because he was playing in the UK. Now that they've stepped up and they've been proactive about this, how long until, you know, more people start making the point that the NHL needs to do this? The highest league, the highest league in the world for professional hockey league, for, sorry, for, for professional hockey, they need to do something like this. I, I think, at this point, conversations, we're having them now. We're having them on podcasts. We're going to have think pe- – we've already seen think pieces come out about this. It almost feels like it's going to be inevitable at this point. That's how I see it. Well, I, I think it's probably a matter of time. And you know, the, this concerns the entire hockey world. You know, I don't care what country it happened or who it happened to. Um, the hockey community is a very tight-knit group. You know, And this just so happens to be somebody that did play in the National Hockey League. Um, who we do know him, and so maybe that makes it hit home a little more. But uh, even if it had been a guy that we'd never heard of, I, I think we'd probably still be having this conversation. I, I hope we would. Um, so Absolutely. no, and I, I don't know how quickly it could be instituted. But um, it, listen, it's a conversation that needs to be had. I, you know, nobody's going to want their children playing a sport someday if safety precautions aren't being made. And I think hockey's been really guilty of that and really behind the times in a lot of ways. For a long time, I mean, I'm God. I'm old enough. I remember Craig McTavish playing without a helmet on. Like I remember, like think about it. it wasn't that long ago. I, I mean, it really wasn't. It's hard to imagine. Um, Eddie Johnston still sits in the press box every night at Penguins games. He's 87 years old. You know, didn't even wear a helmet when he started as a goaltender. I mean, the, the, we're not that far removed from from stuff like that. So I, we still have know. players who go through warm up without helmets. Without helmet, right? And I get that's not an actual game. But what's stopping an incident from happening where someone shoots a puck off someone's head in a it's, warm-up? It's happened. I've watched it, it happen. Yeah. Guys have gotten like, hit. A puck hits the crossbar. It ricochets and it hits yep. a guy in the head. I can't remember who it was. I remember years ago in warm-up, somebody, I think, collided and they somebody fell and hurt their neck or something in a warm-up. I forget who it was. But no, there, there are always, it seems like, four or five guys in every team that don't wear their helmet during warm-ups. Um, I drives me crazy it, it really does because you're right I, we all see it at games pucks hit crossbars they ricochet everywhere you don't know where they're going i mean you're taking exactly. a chance it's, yeah. it's just not a good look and hey, i get there's um, a measure of risk that has to be taken whenever you do anything in life and and in hockey as well like you can protect yourself as much as you can people will still get hurt but you do bring up a good point like we're, we're in the 2020s now we're not in the 1980s anymore where you know people could fight off the idea of wearing a visor or a helmet. Like, I think if the precautions and, and the, the, the concepts are there for people to protect themselves, 
shouldn't these players be in that position to do that? Yeah, and I would honestly, I'd like for the Players Association maybe to take the lead in this because uh, the National Hockey League itself has told us enough in the last few months with many decisions they have made. I, you know, I don't even know what's going on with the league right now, um, but I clearly they're not on the same page as most people. And I, I would love for the Players Association to kind of stand up and say, hey, you know what? Ooh, this league exists because of the players and we're going to try to set an example for all the younger people playing out there and keeping our own players healthy and maybe have a conversation about this. I, I really think it would be appropriate at this point in time. Well, Josh, listen, before we let you go, uh, we'll shift gears here a little bit, ask you one Penguins related question because as you open up your phones or computers and you look at standings the pittsburgh penguins are in dead last in the eastern conference certainly not where they envisioned on being and i'm wondering in the market that you're in who's taking the most heat is it tristan jari is it the newcomer eric carlson like what like how's this kind of playing out why, why are the penguins in last place right now um boy i think for the first time it's mike sullivan who's taking a lot of heat in the pittsburgh market primarily because the penguins just kind of look the same way they looked last year which is to say they look a little stale, um, even though a lot of the names are different. The play looks the same. Um, I, I can tell you, you know, Crosby and Malkin have still been pretty good. Um, Tristan Jari's got two shutouts. He's kind of been up and down. Eric Carlson, um, he's actually been really good defensively. No real mistakes there, which isn't what we're expecting with him. He hasn't really had the offensive eruption that we're waiting for just yet. But the biggest problem with the Penguins is the same thing it's been for years. They have exactly one goal from their bottom six in eight games. They don't. If Crosby and Malkin are putting up the offense, they're not scoring. And the Eastern Conference is just too good. You can't survive if you only have two lines, and and that's the problem right now. Yeah. Well, I, w- I would like to ask about the power play because oh. one thing I thought with with Eric Carlson being there, and you have Crosby and, and Malkin and Latang, this is this team's supposed to have a dynamite power play. What's what's going on with it? It has been embarrassing to watch. I think it's like two for 20 now. I know they have two power play goals. And wow. it's even worse when we're talking eye test. It has been so bad. Nobody, they're all being too polite. Carlson's <laughs> deferring to Crosby and Crosby. Hey, we got Eric Carlson. Let's give him the puck. No one's taking charge of the power play. And it, it has, it's embarrassing when you've got all these Hall of Famers and you can't score a power play goal and can't even come close. It's, it's a real concern in Pittsburgh, no doubt. And if I'm not mistaken, it's two power play goals, both scored in the same game by Crosby, right? Yep, yep both in Washington in the second yeah. game of the year. So, uh, so and, that's and honestly, guys, it looks awful in practice. Like, it does. The second power play unit looks so much better. It's it's hard to fathom. And one real big problem, there's nobody in front of the net. Jay Council's a great player. He's about 170 pounds. He's not a net front guy. They don't have anyone to stand there. They're actually going to try... Riley Smith tonight against Anaheim, who's actually had a really nice start for the Penguins. Um, they're going to try him in front of the net. They're getting a little desperate for for solutions. There's no trouble on the perimeter, but if you don't have people in front of the net, I don't care who you are, it's not going to work. Yeah, three wins in eight games, not the ideal start. Uh, like we said, wish it was under better circumstances that you were joining us, but we appreciate you dropping by the pod, and we look forward to I always love your, your 10 observations uh, columns about the Penguins. You, f- you somehow find 10 nuggets to drop in there on a regular basis. So I look forward to that. And uh, thanks for dropping by. Yeah, good to see both of you guys. Take care. There goes Josh Yoey uh, joining us here as, uh, right, yeah, the Penguins. It's it's a really interesting story that, uh, you know, Ottawa, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, I think, Julian, three teams that had 
postseason aspirations coming into the year off to flat starts. Yeah. All, all three of them. What's funny is that like the Ottawa Senators, it felt like over the last few days were kind of dominating headlines a little bit more because of the start oh. and, and some of the other stories kind of floating around them. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres, I know they were they were trying to get they were in a run and it seems like they're slowly starting to get out of it. They had a really big win over the Colorado Avalanche, but I mean the Edmonton Oilers, and I and I know we'll get to them too, but like they were off to a really bad start as well. And now they get Connor McDavid back, they went on Heritage Classic. We're starting to see those teams start to to get out of it. But when they were in it, it just to me, it felt like the Pittsburgh Penguins were just kind of taking a seat back in terms of, of them being a big storyline with, with all that, with their slow starts. I can't really explain why that is, but it felt like we were focusing on other teams. You know, and 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 you you bring up some of the stuff swirling around Ottawa. Let me just, as we're recording this on a Monday afternoon, uh, yeah. you know, last week in the middle of the Shane Pinto gambling story, which, which was dropped on Thursday, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, we also got information, and Chris Johnson and I dug on this Thursday, I think, and a little bit into Friday. I can't remember now. My, my dates are off. But I sent Chris Johnson a note and said, hey, are you hearing anything that Dadnov in Ottawa, that this might be back on the mix? He says, hey, let me check. I said, well, I'm hearing that there's going to be something coming from the league. And Chris got back and he said, yeah, there absolutely there's the way we'd like to term it is there is to our understanding, an active investigation. Now, Elliot Friedman uh, on, on hockey night in Canada did say that we should expect some sort of ruling, some sort of punishment coming down to Ottawa. And I think if you're an Ottawa fan, it's fair to ask what the, what, right? Like this is a trade that happened 18 months, like two years ago was Dadnov to Vegas. 18 yes. months ago was the botched Dadnov to Anaheim. What is going on here? And I think it's fair to ask what is going on. And, and the only thing I can come up with, Julian, is that Vegas never let this go. That's, that's my, that's my uh, kind of hypothesis here. Vegas has been relentless in trying to pursue some degree of punishment here. Because uh, I think, I for mean, whatever reason, they felt like they were misled, if that makes sense. Now. Here's the question. People are like, what, do, what were you misled about if you could just go to Cap Friendly and find out if Guy did or didn't have a trade clause, right? I can go to Cap Friendly. You can go to Cap Friendly. But what you can't go to Cap Friendly and see is whether or not that those trade clauses are only valid if they're submitted by a certain date and time. Usually like the 30th of June, I think you have to have them in or the 1st of July, whatever. So. Maybe there's some confusion there. That's the only thing. And I think something happened in the trade call between Ottawa and Vegas when Ottawa sent Dadnod to Vegas that led Vegas to believe this guy doesn't have an active no trade clause. That that's the best. And this is a this is guesswork here. But aren't you kind of wondering what the hell? Like, why is this coming up now? Yeah, absolutely. We had a conversation about this, I want to say yesterday where you were basically filling me in on everything. I, I, I have to admit, yeah. like just with all the Heritage Classic stuff, my brain was not on the Ottawa Senators. But in when we were talking about it, and you mentioned the fact that there's no real, I mean, as far as we know, I mean, I'm sure, I have a hard time thinking teams don't have some kind of place where they can see uh, that a player Centralized, has, has yeah. a, a place where they can see not only that they have a trade clause, a no trade clause, but also where like which teams are, are are part of that clause. 
Like, I, it just blows my mind. Like, you have you mean to tell me, you can tell me if I'm wrong. You mean to tell me if I'm making a trade. See, you and I are making a trade, and a player involved uh, has a no trade clause. You have to take me at my word that that trade clause is in effect, and these teams are on it. Like, I find that really bizarre, just generally. And I'll say this about Vegas. Vegas already has this reputation, well, at least before the Stanley Cup, where they're doing everything they can to win. And they're they're getting players in, getting players out, the way they're handling trades and all that. Like, that's that was a part of their reputation. And the Evgeny Dadanov move, very much in line with how we thought about that franchise. And a yep. lot of people were looking at them really weird. If you're the Vegas Golden Knights and you care about your reputation around the league and you realize it's it's all happening to you because some other team messed up, I would be very upset too. And I would want some kind of due process or justice in this situation. We, you gave us a player who we don't know. We, we thought there was an active no trade clause or, or there wasn't. And all of a sudden there is. And all of a sudden we can't offload them to Anaheim. Like I find if I'm, if I'm Vegas Golden Knights management, I'm livid at this. I have every reason to be upset at the Ottawa Senators. I'm not upset at the fact that they're pursuing this. So the question is, though, remember, the league looked into it in at the time the deal went down and said, we don't think Ottawa did anything wrong. But like I said, my guess on this is Vegas was relentless. And there has to be new information that has come that has to, to light. Be it, because if the so, NHL has, didn't find anything the first time, right. what came out this time? And if it came out this time, does that mean that Ottawa was was withholding information? Then shouldn't that mean they should be in for a severe punishment? Because that's that's not right. Right. So I think the the, the two things I want to to get across here to wrap up this thought is, you know, one, I think, you know, when, when the league suspended Shane Pinto, it was like a super vague press release, right? It, it, in fact, it left you with more questions than answers. If they come down with a penalty to the Senators, I don't think we're going to have that problem. I'm led to believe, Julian, it's going to be clear, concise. Here's what they did wrong. Here's what they were in violation of. Here's the punishment. I think it's going to be somewhat transparent. My question is, um, and I put this at the end of my column today, and and it was kind of like, you know, it's going to be curious for my to to me, like, how does Michael Andlauer react? Because Mike Anlauer bought this team for $950 million and he bought them and you're going to tell him that right off the hop, he's got to pay or the organization has got to pay either a fine or they're going to be stripped of a draft pick for something that didn't happen under his watch. Like if I'm Mike Anlauer, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what are you doing here? Like, I, like I, I totally see it from his perspective that, hey, you want to punish somebody or punish the parties involved, fine. But how are you, like, <laughs> I'm brand new here. Like, what, like how, how is this on me? So well, I'm not sure, but I'm not sure how differently you're supposed to go with that considering that he owns the team. It, 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 I mean, I can understand that he has nothing to do with it, but I, I don't know. I, I He kind of has to, I mean, it's weird to say that he kind of has to wear it, but he unfortunately has to bear some of that responsibility. The one person I'm thinking of is Pierre Dorian in all of this. Yeah. already entering the season with his seat very much on fire. Does this, depending on what the punishment is, does this affect his job? Because already the team is not starting off well. We know how people get when when new people come into an organization. They like to see their people take over. Depending on if there's new information, again, 
if it was withheld from the initial investigation that the NHL was doing, I have a problem with that. Does that play a role in Pierre Dorian's job security? That is the biggest question that I have. And one person who could def- who could definitely have an answer for that is Michael Amlauer. Yeah, great great point. By the way, Pierre Dorian was at Senators. He was there sitting in the stands uh, at practice on Monday, came by, said hello to us. So it didn't seem like anything weird was going on, but but something is going on well, in the background. Polite, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and and we'll see. We'll see what happens here in the next couple of days. But I wanted to uh, to share that with, uh, with the listeners here on, on the pod. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. When you're trying to grow a business, the caliber of person you bring in to help you do that is really important. And LinkedIn makes it really easy to interview the right people for the role, quality people. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NHL show. That's linkedin.com slash NHL show to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, I want to talk to you about the uh, the outdoor game, um, yeah. Edmonton Calgary. And listen, let, let let's not focus on the game itself. Let, I'm more interested in the spectacle and and yeah. the teams rolling in in different kind of outfits and just the 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 scene. What well, take us through it? Take us through the the spectacle that was the 20 year anniversary of the Heritage Classic. Man, I that was my very first time covering an outdoor game. Like I, I remember watching at least some of the. Uh, the initial one 20 years ago, Canadians, uh, Oilers, the Canadians won that game. Remember the photos of, of, of Jose Theodore wearing the toque atop his goalie mask, which has become one of the most iconic photos in hockey history. Uh, by the way, before the game even started, they had a ceremonial face-off. Yes. And some like, of the members cool. from the Oilers. Yeah, I, I love that. You see Jose Theodore there. Uh, Stefan Quintal was there as well. Alex Hemsky for the Oilers was there. Uh, Jared Stahl, I believe, too. I thought the face-off, like, like the fact that they were there was cool. That was cool. But the face-off where everyone, there was like three representatives from each team, and they're each dropping a puck, and the the cap the captains for each team are on opposite ends, and they're only around like one, and you see them eventually pick up the pucks as they're dropped. That was a little interesting, but like still a pretty cool moment, especially if you watch the initial one. But being in the the Commonwealth Stadium, that was also my first time there as well. And and seeing the seats, they, they announced it as a sellout, over 55,000 in attendance. Really cool just to take in that atmosphere. 
I watched a good chunk of the game from the press box, which, you know, it's a little muted. You hear some 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 pumped in noise from whatever monitor yeah. you're watching, but there's nothing like going outside of the box and taking in the in-game atmosphere and and hearing fans cheer and hearing the the skates, the blades on the ice and just just enjoy it. It wasn't that cold either. It was like three degrees at at, at puck drop. I had mentioned that off, off the top here, but it was just perfect weather perfect conditions the ice obviously is gonna be it's always a problem for these outdoor games it seems like but for the most part it, it wasn't something we were focusing on for the entire game uh nickelback wasn't that bad i i i have one gripe about their performance that's, that's the highest compliment you can give nickelback in a public sphere by the way nickelback yes. wasn't that bad uh, but but how do you how do you do this show in alberta which is leaning all the way into the battle of Albertaness. I believe they played. Um, wow, why am I blanking on the songs? They played Rockstar at the end. They played. Uh, this is how you remind me. Yeah. Uh, they played uh, Saturday Night's All Right. Why didn't you play Burn It to the Ground? Like that's the perfect venue for you to play that song, and fifty-five thousand people are going to get lit. They're going to get amped. Like that's something you put in the pregame intro. That's a for good point. The game, and you don't play that song. I don't understand that. That I don't I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense to me. I get it. It's not necessarily their most iconic song, but considering the conditions of the event, that was the perfect time to play that song. That's the biggest gripe I had, but I, I did not have a problem with Nickelback before we get that event. That was really fun. Totally random thought. You mentioned Ali Shemsky was there to ceremonial yes. puck drop thing. Maybe this is a fever dream. Did Alex Shemsky play for the Habs briefly? Yes, he did. He was like very, for, very brief. For like very 20 games? Brief. Yeah, like, something? like, if that, I, I'd be stunned yeah. if it was more All than of a sudden, games. Because you mentioned Alex Hemsky. I'm like, where the hell would Alex Hemsky be there for that? He was only with the Habs for a few games, wasn't he? Oh, he was wearing an Oilers jersey. Okay. Uh, that, no, no, Because no, he that's... spent all those years with the Oilers. Yeah, I know. I was like, wait, did Alex Hemsky, uh But oh. but to your point about the Montreal Canadiens, uh, you said 20 games for, for, for him? Seven well, that's games. my guess. Seven games. Yeah. I forget what injury he had, but like he, he, it was not long. It was very, very short of a time of Alex Hemsky as a Montreal Canadian. But if you are playing Puck Doku and for whatever reason you see Edmonton Montreal line up, you can use Alex Hemsky as an answer. Yeah. Don't use Devin Dubnik. Use, uh, use Alex Hemsky. Yes. Um, Devin Dubnik did not play for the Canadians. Exactly. I he was, he, he was there, but he never game. played, right? He didn't play in a game. Yes. Steve Mason, I think, also is in that same boat, too. He was also traded to the Canadians, but never, but never I don't played. remember him playing again. This this sounds like a down goes brown uh, quiz. Uh, which guy did this, which team did this guy not play for? That would be exactly. uh, down goes brown. Okay, so you did an outdoor game. Now I got a question for you. Yes. Would you rather that the, the team that you cover or the, if you're a fan, should you prefer having your team host, your local team host an outdoor game? Or the all-star game? What would be better? Ooh, that's a good question. I've never yeah. I've never attended an all-star game for what it's worth, but that's a good question. I think I, I'd I, go I, all I've done both. I think I'd go all-star game, but the only reason, the only thing I would push for with an outdoor game, I want to see the cool venues. Like, okay, if you're able to put a rink like in Ottawa, if you could have played the game at Parliament Hill. That's yeah. great. If New York City, if you could do this at Central Park, count me in. But when you're constantly doing the stadiums, football, baseball, I kind of feel like been there, done that. 
right? I can understand that. Uh, I mean, there's some logistics that get in the way and, and you have to account for some environmental concerns as well. Like one one thing I've always wondered is why not have a, an outdoor game at Lake Louise? But you have to consider the fact that the area is a, it's a heritage site, right? And and yeah. I'm sure that I'm sure building on top of that is going to invite an entire set of issues, right? So as much as we would love to have a situation where you want to build on some iconic places, there's a lot of red tape you're going to have to go through. Like in, in Quebec, I can't really think of an area that would really that would really work. Someone suggested yesterday, well, why don't they have it at Percival Molson Stadium? And I looked this up, and I want to say around the time when the Sens and the Canadians played, I think that idea was floated. But Bill Daly ultimately said that Percival Molson Stadium, which for, for those who don't know, uh, the Montreal Alouettes, they play CFL games there. And uh, the University of McGill, that's where they have all of their, uh, their football, rugby, a couple of their sports play there, too. That is maybe a little over 20,000. It's like their attendance is comparable to what the Bell Center can hold in Montreal. Yeah. And so what's the at point? least exactly. And you want something 30, 40, 50,000 deep in order to accommodate as many fans as possible. So it's not going to make sense to have it at a, at a place like Wilson Stadium. It seems like to me, unless I'm missing a spot in Montreal, the reason why we haven't seen it in Quebec is because there isn't a location that's large enough to, to accommodate to accommodate what the NHL would want for an outdoor game. And I think for if I was able to do that and cover a game there, I would love to see a situation where you're you're able to do that. Like I don't know if there's a an area in Quebec City, like around old Quebec, oh. where you can make it work. And and that would be it would be absolutely beautiful to, or to see players like get that. taken to the taken to and from the dressing room on like a horse drawn carriage in old Quebec oh, City. God, come on, that'd be pretty fun. Who says that'd be no? Cool. Imagine you get cool. ejected. Imagine you get a game misconduct. You kicked out of the game. You got to get on a horse and and a <laughs> And a buggy, and well, there goes Tom Wilson. Remember, Corey Perry got kicked out of an outdoor game within like yeah. two minutes of it happening. He did. He did. It's amazing. Just so yeah. you go through that, you get carried out. That'd be that'd be pretty well. That was at the I Cotton Bowl, if, right? When, when, when yeah, Perry yeah. got kicked out of the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, because yeah. Dallas was in that game. I still don't know if I would pick an All Star game over an outdoor game, and maybe it has to do with the fact I have yet to attend an All Star game in person. I have my thoughts on on the way that the All Star Games presented, particularly the last one that we had. But I'll say this: being there for an outdoor game, I, I totally understand what people when people say that these events are pretty much designed for for the people there and less for TV. Because watching on TV, it looks cool, but you're only getting a certain percentage of the actual atmosphere. Being there, and I didn't even mention the fact that the the way the players from both teams entered the games. Uh, will enter oh, the yeah. venues and wearing the the costumes. I mean, the Flames had the hard hat and overalls getup, which was apparently Nazem Kadri's idea. And then you had the little bit more. I mean, they have the jackets and the hard hats for the Edmonton Oilers. When Connor McDavid said it was a good tribute to all the hardworking Albertans, that was fun too. I I, I like. I, it's funny. I was like doing a radio interview as I noticed the Oilers guys were coming in, and I was thinking, okay, that's a lot of people. It's a lot of arena workers. There's no way yeah, it's just arena workers. What are all these maintenance guys doing? Uniform. Something's going on here. But it was, it was fun, and, and I like that teams like to, to go up and do that. I don't, I don't know if it'll be up in our next style rankings. I would like to see that, perhaps, but uh, that's a conversation for Scott Powers. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, I want to wrap up uh, the, the Monday pod with, uh, like I said, you were in Alberta on the weekend covering the Heritage Classic. I was at I'm Mullen still Arena. in Alberta. Yeah, that's a good point. You're still in Alberta, but you were in Edmonton. You were, you were yes. not in your home city covering uh, the outdoor game. I was in the exact opposite. It was about 90 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, not Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit, um, 90 Fahrenheit, 33, whatever that is, Celsius in Tempe at Mullet Arena. And before oh, I you. just poor me, but hey, before I chat a little bit about why I was there, I want to tell you that's a fantastic and I know that it's a lot of low-hanging fruit. That's one of the most fun atmospheres I've ever been at for an NHL game. Like it it's was very unique. Popping, it was unique. And I gotta give a huge shout out to the entire Coyotes staff, uh, the PR department there, uh Jeffrey Saunders and uh Sanders and um uh, Javier Gutierrez, who's their president and CEO, they could not have been more welcoming to me coming in to cover their team. So I want to say uh, a huge thanks to them. Huge thanks to Travis Dermott, who uh, did a media availability. I had a great conversation with Travis, too, just kind of off the record. Anyway, that was the whole reason why I went. First NHL Pride-themed night in the new era, so to speak. And I'll tell you, Julian, like, what I did... Uh, for this story, I said, I'm going to get there early and I'm going to go down by the glass. I'm going to watch the warmups uh, with members from the LGBTQ plus community. And I thought mm -hmm. that's a good way to see how, how they're feeling about this night and everything. And look, there was some, was there some disappointment that players didn't use pride tape for sure. But the one thing that everybody wanted to hammer home to me um, was they felt like this was a really successful night. And sometimes that we do focus too much on the players and that they saw allyship everywhere inside that arena that, um, you know, they saw, uh, uh, a gay men's choir sing the anthem. They saw the mascot wearing a, a rainbow headband all game. Uh, you know, they had a couple of players there. Sean Dursey was one of them. Leo, Liam O'Brien, the other, they came to the game, uh, Julian wearing pride jerseys. I saw that, you know? So I think, at the end of the day, there's a bit of a recalibration here, but I think it's time to kind of look at some of the initiatives that teams are doing. And I got to give the Coyotes credit. You know, they have a great program in Arizona, Julian, called the Growlers, which is specifically designed so that members of the LGBTQ plus community can learn to play hockey in a safe environment. That's a, that's a pretty cool thing that an NHL team is doing. So hats off to the Coyotes. I know there was a lot of questions. I thought it went off as well as it could have. And it was interesting, though. We spent weeks, uh, a couple of weeks, talking about the debate about Pride Tape, and not a single player used it on their stick, even for the warm-up. Interesting.
But well, but what we I we had a whole discussion about this last week, wondering if players would do it in 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 light of 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 the initial ban being rescinded. And I and I, I made the point that because it has completely changed, it, it it's not really that much of a statement to have it. I mean, maybe now that we, we just saw a Pride game go off where there was no tape used, but I mean now the impact of wearing Pride tape. I mean, the you know what I'll say that like this. If we see a player use the tape now, we'll actually just accept it for what it was supposed to be for in the first place. A sign that if you yeah. are from that community, you are welcome and you are acknowledged. And that was the whole point of all of this anyway. It's just kind of I understand that there is some recalibration. And, you know, if teams are going to go up, if this is the new era and we're going to see guys just wear the regular uniforms and we'll see some moments of, of allyship and 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 people being welcoming throughout the arena whatever whichever arena it is that's going to be great that's fine it, it just it does still kind of boggle my mind a little bit that it took us all this consternation and frustration right and and looping around to get to this point but at the same time i am still glad that we are at this point and i hope that for other specialty nights as well we are able to see some of that same energy where people from marginalized communities, especially from for those specialty nights, they can go to those arenas. They can partake in hockey culture and feel a sense of belonging and welcome. Because at the end of the day, that's ultimately what the sport is supposed to be for. We're supposed to be able to share in this game together, no matter where you're from, no matter what you look like. We can acknowledge each other's differences, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. But those differences should be celebrated. And 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 the fact that hockey has those differences should be celebrated in its game and acknowledged. And the fact that we're at that point, that makes me happy. Uh, but uh, but I know and I know that we shouldn't forget about the fact that it took everything that's happened over the last year or so to get us there. And and people have been frustrated and people have been right have been hurt over this, and it should be acknowledged too. Um, but I'm I'm very curious to see how other teams go off on this for the next couple of months and if this ends up being the norm that's great and we can start focusing on more of those stories like a scott lawton or a james van reemsteig hanging out with 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 members of the lgbtq community at games or or if a player feels comfortable to to come out right where maybe that's a long ways away but stuff like this builds towards that right like i i, I want to see more positivity i can't help but think of of the negativity that got us there but I, I am happy that we are at this point. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing, you know, Travis Dermott, who ended up missing that game, he was ill, Julian, um, missed the game, ironically. But you know, one thing uh, Travis said to us on Thursday was, you know, I think the question was phrased to him, like, how many of your teammates do you expect will use the tape? And I really liked his answer. You know, his answer was, well, that's the beauty of the new rule. Now it's everyone's choice. And if you can choose to be an ally, and he said, if you don't wear it, I'm not going to single you out and I'm not going to judge you. And I thought that's the that's the way to do this. Like We need to look for the real allies in this sport. Travis is one of them. Scott Lawton is one of them. Uh, JVR is one of them. There, there's a handful of guys who are legit allies. And it's time to focus on the work that they're doing rather than the work of you know a few people who just philosophically or culturally or religiously, this doesn't align with them. Okay, but what are we doing 
to create, as you said so eloquently, to create a safer space to allow a player to feel comfortable to come out in the NHL. That's what it's about. So and I uh, and I get that like for stuff like that, you know, it's their business and it's it's really their choice at the end of the day. And it's not, and I'm not saying that to say like, okay, I want these stories to come out so we could all cover them. At the end of the day, like it's on the player to 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 do that. I, I just want that clarified. Um, yeah, I, I also think just the idea, it's kind of funny that we're at a point where we're okay with the idea that that players have the choice, which I don't I don't necessarily think was it, that was an issue or a problem. It's just that the league had it set in this one way and for years people didn't have a problem with it and then all of a sudden a few people did and now we're at this point which we've seen other leagues do i'm I'm more fascinated by by the change in it than than anything else i just want that clear but it is fascinating to see how as you mentioned we're, we're recalibrating uh how we go about celebrating these specialty nights in particular pride nights yeah well i'll tell you what we're gonna have to leave it there because i gotta run to go do a feature now julie yeah, I got, I got, I got to record this other podcast. I don't know if you ever heard of the, yeah. the Chris Johnson. Who's this show? Chris Johnson guy? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. We keep mentioning him here and there. I've never up. met this dude in person at all. Yeah, it's, it's, he could be tall. He could be short. I have no idea. He could be a short yeah. king. Uh, but you and I are back at it tomorrow on the Tuesday yes, edition sir. of the show and the little segment we call Mike Check with Mike Russo. Uh, our man Mike Russo is going to have an extended conversation with the president of the Philadelphia Flyers. They're off to a great start. Keith Jones and drop by the pod in a conversation with Mike Russo Tuesday. So we look forward to that. That should be a lot of fun. We want to thank you for listening to the Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating and review. We appreciate that. You can follow us, watch us live on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. Julie and I, we're back with you on Tuesday. Peace. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.